20-something, just a few years out of uni, my first successful financial strategy was selling my poo. Yeah, you heard me. I sold my poo for cold, hard cash. And I'm her husband. <laughs> I'll just put that out there. Um, you know, we all have a family member that we sort of talk about in whispered tones. You know, that crazy aunt or that eccentric uncle. Well, for me, it's my crazy uncle who just happens to be a, a bottom doctor. And, um, and we, we bumped into each other one day at Maya, and, uh, and he asked me if I was interested in, in making some easy cash. He, uh, he told me that he needed a good supply of poo for some medical reasons, and I said, eh, why not? And he asked me if I had any friends who might be interested in making a bit of money, and I said, yeah, sure. Can you imagine how awkward it is to ask your friends if you can pay them money for their poo? Yeah, I, I'm not sure that I really thought that part of it through very well, but I think I did think it through reasonably well because two years later, I actually had enough money to put down a deposit on my first home. One of my friends who was donating with me had enough money saved up after two years to buy his first brand new car and his girlfriend's engagement ring. That's right, all on poo money. How good's that, eh? That's true love right there. I'm telling you, true love. There is plenty of advice out there on how to get rich. But this morning, we're going to be talking about how to be rich. And there's a, there's a real difference. This morning's talk is, is a number two. It's a part two in a two-part series. And... And last week, um, Neil shared with us a, a terrific text from Scripture. I think it's up on the, up on the uh, screen, Clay. From, uh, from Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant and not to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain. Have a richer faith in God who provides everything you need for your enjoyment. And, and most of us would have discovered that we're actually a lot richer than we thought. If you earn $48,000 or more, you are actually in the top 1% of richest people on this planet. Wow. And yet we don't think of ourselves as rich, do we? Why not? You see, the, the danger is that wealth is a type of appetite. And we're never fully satisfied. And if you feed an appetite, it grows. And likewise, the more a person has, the more a person wants. And so for our hope to migrate, it's so easy for our hope to migrate for something as certain as God to something as uncertain as money. And I say uncertain. We all remember those three little letters, G-F-C. It was a little while ago now. But it was so uncertain. Here one day, gone tomorrow. And yet it's so easy for us as people for our hope to migrate. And so our hope can sometimes just slowly start to migrate across. And before we know it, we start to hoard some things because that's where our hope is starting to lie. Financials have become the spiritual battlefield. Financials have become the spiritual battlefield. And money competes with God more than anything. 
And that's why Jesus spent more time teaching on the theme of money than any other topic. There's an equation for money. Money equals time plus talent plus clay. It's up there. Money equals time plus talent plus energy. And you know the interesting you know can you see that? You know the interesting thing about that? Is that these are the three things that God asks for as well. He asks for our time, our talents, and our energy. And this is exactly why Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money because they both are asking for exactly the same thing from you. And yet, if people face something like a near-death experience or something like that, suddenly our hope swings back to God because in those sorts of moments, we see a lot more clearly, if only just for a moment. And so the question is, how do we keep our hope in the provider and not in the provisions? How do we keep our hope in the giver and not what's given? How do we make sure that our hope doesn't migrate from a certain God to something as uncertain as wealth and money? And so this morning, we're going to talk about the advice that God gives on how we can keep this from happening. That text that, um, that Neil spoke on last week, let's have a look at that again and the following verse. He said, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant and not to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but to have a richer faith in God who provides everything we need for our enjoyment. And today's verse, the next verse says, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. The richer we are, the more generous we should be. Most of us, I only have to work five days out of seven. And in five days, we can, we can generally provide everything that we need for seven days. And that's not the case in most countries in the world. And for a lot of us, it's not just for ourselves. We may have, what, four, five, six people in our family. And we only need, in most cases, one person to go out and work full time to be able to supply all the food that five, six people need for seven days. It's not like that in most of the world. But it's not actually about the money. It's about the heart. And God says, I want you to be generous and willing to share. And you think about it. Whenever we have extra, whenever we have excess, what do we tend to do with it? We tend to, we tend to kind of, you know, flitter it away, maybe put it into something that's really not that important, maybe waste it. Don't let yourself fall into the trap of believing that everything you have is for your own consumption. Don't fall into the trap of the consumption assumption. Jesus 
told a story. He said, there was this farmer. And the farm of a certain rich man produced a bumper crop one season. Absolute bumper crop. And this man said to himself, what am I going to do? My barn isn't big enough for all the harvest. Oh, first world problems. What will I do? Here's what I'll do, he said. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, self, yeah, you've done all right. Well done. You got it made and now you can retire. Take it easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But that night, he died. And what good were his barns full of goods? Useless, right? Think about the story. This farmer, he didn't do anything to produce a bumper crop. Sure, he may have planted some seed. He didn't send the rain. He didn't send the sun. He didn't do anything to produce this massively, um, you know, huge crop. And when God blessed him with a bumper crop, he thought that it was all for him. Don't fall into the consumption assumption. The richer we are, the more generous we need to be. Not should be. The richer we are, the more generous we need to be. And that's not all. You know, God actually goes as far as to say, it's not even yours. I made it. I sustain it. I own it. I've just given it to you on loan to enjoy and to manage on my behalf. Okay, if you're someone, dare I say, like me, perhaps a little bit sceptical, if you're someone that thinks the only reason I'm up here talking on this topic is because the church wants your money, that's not what we're talking about. I'm not talking about giving your money to the church. I'm talking about how you can prevent your hope from migrating from something as certain as our God to something as uncertain as wealth and money. And the lure that gets us every time is this false promise that it's the money and the wealth that will give us the control of our own destiny that we want. Do you really think that God needs your money? Paul puts it this way. I think we've got it on the screen. Paul puts it this way. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it. He's the Lord of the heaven and the earth. He doesn't need to live in buildings built by human hands. He doesn't need to be served on by human hands as if he was in need of anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God doesn't need your money. But he made us. And and he knows how we operate. He knows how we think. He knows what's going on inside our heads. And he knows that the only way for us to be truly rich is to force ourselves to be generous. 
So, so how much do we need to give? What's that magic number to protect our hearts and souls? How does it all work? There's a, a story about Jesus, and, and he, was sitting, he was sitting down opposite where all these people were bringing their offerings and tithes and, and money to God. And as he's watching, there are all these rich and pompous guys coming along and they're throwing in large bags of money and making a spectacle about how good they are. And then he, he sees something and he calls his disciples to him. He says, hey guys, 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 look at that. And there's this woman, widow, in line, just probably rushing through, trying not to be noticed. And and she just she kind of just drops in two coins. The smallest coins of currency in the Roman Empire. You know what? It was probably worth the equivalent today, probably worth about five minutes of work. Probably not even a cent in our currencies, even though we don't have those coins anymore. And Jesus points this woman out to his disciples and he says, Guys, that woman has given more than any of the others. That woman is richer in the kingdom of heaven than any of these other guys. Now, we don't know anything else about that woman, but I wonder what happened to her. If Jesus noticed her, her heavenly Father noticed her. I actually suspect that the disciples probably helped her out right there and then. But Jesus teaches us a really important lesson. That he is impressed by the percentage giver. The percentage giver. The amount doesn't matter to God. God doesn't count the number of zeros at the end of the number. We need to think about every aspect of our lives in terms of percentages. We're, talk, we're focusing on money this morning, but it also applies to the proportion, the percentage of your time, that you, the time that you give, the talent that you give, the energy that you give. We need to be percentage givers. The only way to ensure that your hope doesn't migrate from a certain God to uncertain money is to predecide the percentage of income that you're going to give away first, live on second, and save third. In that order, predecide the percentage that you're going to give away first, live on second, and save third. Now, in Australia, the median income is about $60,000 a year. And the average Australian gives away about 6% of their income, and mostly by accident. You know how it goes. It's the door knocker at the front door. It's the, um, the, the chocolates that you can buy for you know, raising funds for some sort of charity. Most of us will give away about 6%. Jesus says that you should give away a minimum of 
He knows how we operate. He knows how it works. And he says, get to 10% as soon as you can, and that's your bottom bar. That's the floor. Can you imagine? What would it be like if every Christian decided that they would give away 10% of their income to those in need? Just stop and think about it for a moment. What would our world be like if every Christian gave 10% to someone in need? Because when you do, when you do give as Jesus instructs, you actually start to save better and you actually start to spend differently and you actually start to become more aware of just what a demon debt is and just what slavery and bondage it puts people in. It actually changes your whole outlook about how you have to work and how much you have to work and how you have to save and spend and everything else. That's what debt does to us. Suddenly, you find yourself more motivated to help others. You, you actually start to reprioritize your whole world. Your heart actually starts to change. But imagine if every Christian did this. Something else would change too. The whole face and reputation of Christianity would change. All of a sudden, we wouldn't be known for what we stand against. We wouldn't even be known for what we believe in. All of a sudden, Christianity and the name of Christ around the world would be known for something else. We would be known for how we love others and our generosity to those in need. What do you want to be known for? You know, this is a topic that isn't spoken about much. And it's a topic that a lot of people kind of maybe feel just a little bit uncomfortable about. But it has the potential to change you. It has the potential to change your family, even your community. This actually has the potential to change our country, to change our world. Extraordinary generosity is extraordinarily powerful. Some of us may be listening and thinking, yeah, you know what? I already do that. I already give 10% of everything I make. I know some people who have gone, you know what, that's not enough. I want to double it. I really have a heart for those in need. 20% of everything I make, I'm going to give away to those in need. Some of us, maybe some of us have never really even thought about this or heard about this before. And that's why we made sure, I made sure that we started in the reasoning behind what we're talking about. It's not about the money, it's about the heart and keeping it soft and open and supple for others and their needs. So, what does that actually look like? How do we actually do this? Well, 
teachers amongst the room? I'm sure you already know. You've got, you know what? You guys have got it made. You got it easy. You can have it automatically taken out from pre-tax salary. You actually get a benefit out of doing it that way. That's great. For many of us, it's probably a matter of thinking about that fortnightly paycheck and thinking, right, well, how are we going to do this? And then is it going to be cash that we bring and give? Or, you know, you can do it online. Easy. For some of us, maybe it's a matter of every quarter when you do your BAS statement anyway to have a look at what the business has made and what's going on. Maybe you do it then. For some of us, it's easier to do it on an annual basis. That's fine. It doesn't matter. It's about the heart. You can give to ministry to support this church or to support other churches. It doesn't matter. You can give to soup kitchens, sponsor a child, to a hospital in Africa fighting Ebola. You can give to an orphanage. And you know what? Everything that I just mentioned has actually already been organised and facilitated through Refresh Church. It's so easy. Just if you've got questions, talk to Neil or Simo and they can hook you up. They can let you know how to facilitate it, how to make it happen. It's, it is that easy. But it's a heart thing. It's about knowing what your values are and it's about knowing what you live for. I heard this story once. I, I love this story. Um, there was this, uh, this banker who was on vacation somewhere in, uh, actually I think it was probably Mexico, but I'm going to say Southeast, uh, Southeast Asia. And, um, and he was sitting on this uh, little rickety um, pier, jetty, and he was watching this rowboat come in with a fisherman. And it was just so peaceful. And inside the boat there were a couple of fish, and the, and the banker started talking to the fisherman, and he said, how long did it take you to catch these fish? And he said, oh, only a few hours, the fisherman replied. Well, the banker asked, why, why don't you stay out there a little bit longer and catch some more fish? The man said, no, this is more than enough to meet my family's needs. Well, the banker became serious and he said, but, but, but what do you do with the rest of your time? It's like 10 a.m. The man said, well, I usually sleep in a bit. Then I'll play with my kids for a bit. I'll go out fishing. Maybe go home and have some lunch and watch the footy for a little while and spend some time with my wife. And in the afternoon, I'll sort of stroll into town and catch up with some of my mates and we you know, have a bit of a drink and play some songs and have a bit of a sing and just have a good time, tell some stories. Then I'll mosey on home, go to bed. And the, and the banker was starting to get a little bit impatient. And he interrupted and he said, look, I think I can help you be successful. He said, look, what you need to do is just start by spending a couple of extra hours in your fishing boat. And with the money that you get from that, you'll be able to buy a bigger boat. And from the money from the bigger boat, you'll be able to buy a second boat and a third boat. And before you know it, you'll have a fleet of fishing boats. And at that point, you'll be catching enough fish that you won't have to sell your fish through a middleman. You'll be able to sell your fish direct to the manufacturer. Or better still, you'll actually be able to open your own cannery. Then you can catch the fish, sell, uh, can the fish, sell the fish direct. You'll own the whole supply chain. It'll be great. You'll be making millions. 
fisherman asks, how long would that take? And the man said, oh, I don't know, maybe 10, 15, 20 years, but you could do it. And then what? Asked the fisherman. Well, that's the best part, the banker said. You'll be able to build a little mini empire. Then you can sell it for millions and cash it in. Millions, really, said the fisherman. And what would I do with all that, asked the fisherman in disbelief. And the banker both said, well, then you could retire happy. And with all the money you've made, you could move to a quaint little coastal village somewhere. You could sleep in, play with your grandchildren, maybe watch the footy, take a siesta with your wife. You could stroll down to the village in the evenings and catch up with mates. I think the point's pretty clear, isn't it? It's about knowing what your values are and it's about knowing what you are living for. It's a heart thing. And Jesus knew that. There's plenty of advice out there on how to get rich. There's not a lot on how to be truly rich. To be truly rich, we need to find a way to keep our hope in the provider and not the provisions. And the best way to do that is to become a percentage giver. Should we pray? Our dear Heavenly Father, um, you know us better than we know ourselves. And, and sometimes this topic's a bit uncomfortable. Sometimes it challenges us a little bit in, uh, in ways that we just don't really enjoy. But we thank you for the advice. We thank you for the direction. And I pray that you will give us your wisdom and your hope. And I pray that you will give us the strength to listen to your spirit and follow your direction. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Jace. Awesome.